You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now, on to our guest. Heidi Haverkamp is a writer, spiritual director, an Episcopal priest, and a part-time hermit. For 10 years, she served in parish ministry in churches in the Chicago area. She is the author of three books, Advent in Narnia, Holy Solitude, and Everyday Connections, Reflections and Practices for Year C, due out in September 2021. She received her Master's of Divinity from the University of Chicago Divinity School in 2006 and a Certificate in Anglican Studies from Seabury Western Theological Seminary a year later. She has worked on organic farms in a corporate law office, as pastor of a rural congregation in New England, and at Trader Joe's. She is married to Adam Freeberg. They live in Indianapolis. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, Heidi and I talk about solitude and making one's home into a hermitage. Along those lines, we also discuss the balance of prayer and outreach, weighing solitude versus availability to others. We contemplate how discipleship of Jesus is meant to come from a place of freedom and joy and how that can offer clarity and guidance. Lastly, we consider how mess and chaos can actually have a fruitfulness. Enjoy. Hi, Heidi. Welcome to Messy Jesus. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I want to just hear right away about how you ended up taking on this title, part-time hermit. I know that's not all you are and all you do. You're also an Episcopal priest. You're a spiritual director. You're a contemplative writer, but part-time hermit. And Oh, and you were even featured in the New York Times for this, right? I know. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. Yeah. I've had a relationship for a long time with um, Karen Fredette, who actually is the editor of a hermit newsletter called Raven's Bread, she and her husband, Paul. And I, she has a great book about being a hermit. And I can't remember the title right now, but I'd written something for their hermit newsletter. And that's how this writer at the New York Times found me um, and ended up interviewing me about solitude and hermits as part of the sort of the pandemic, because so many people have been in solitude for the pandemic. So yeah, I got quoted and that was pretty exciting. So Mm. I've always loved solitude since I was a kid, just 
sort of being by myself and thinking, looking out the window, being in nature. As an adult, I sort of struggled to find time in solitude. And I sometimes felt guilty about it. But now I'm in my 40s and I kind of don't care what people think anymore. And I kind of just want to give myself the time and solitude that I want. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to call myself a part-time hermit as part of what I do because hermit's kind of a funny word. I just sort of love the the goofiness and the oddity of it, but also just it's it's who I am. And I, I can't be a full-time hermit. So I still go to the grocery store and I go to church and I have friends and I am also married. So just part-time, but mm. just a part-time hermit. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you're just kind of saying that you claim this identity as a, as a way to kind of give your freedom, yourself some freedom to really live it out. And, you know, that's a great permission for all of us in our spiritual lives, isn't it? As, as we sort of discover like, wait a minute, this is who I am oh, now let me be that. (laughs) Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, Thomas Merton talks about true self and false self. And I Mm. think we all have this true self, this sort of person that we're longing to be. And sometimes it's hard to give ourselves permission to just be that. And that's, I think that can be so many different things for different people, but it's such a gift when we can be free to be that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a lot of people might have misunderstandings about what a hermit is and what it what, especially in our modern times, I, I, I think there's kind of like this mythic, like person living alone in the woods in a hut or something. <laughs> and and yeah. even that is mysterious. <laughs> like, what are they doing in there? And solitude could be like a creepy thing, you know, like there's yeah. in a lot of literature sort of like avoid the, the creepy person who lives alone in the old rundown house on the edge of town. Right. Like, like that's just kind of like part of the myth of the myths that exist and, you know, in the human imagination, let's break that open a little bit. Like what's mm. the reality? Yeah. So I think there is a certain danger in total solitude in that you, if you cut yourself off from people, if you are, if you maybe even hate people or you're not getting the care that you need and you're escaping by being in solitude. Like I always sort of say, you know, there's the Unabomber who is a recluse and a solitude, solitary, um, solitary is another word for hermit, but it wasn't something that filled him with love. And I think as I read, you know, Christian, the Christian tradition around solitude, there's a, some Buddhist tradition as well. Um, and just other wise people who write about solitude, part of a healthy solitude is that you're growing in love for other people, that it's part of how you love the world, that you sort of go into prayer and time alone with God, because it gives you something that then you can give away. I, and I always say, you know, hermits need friends too. And and in the, um, in the Christian tradition too, many monastics um, weren't allowed to be hermits until they were, ba- were grounded in their community life first. You sort of need that tether to keep you grounded, I guess. So, you know, hermit can have bad associations. When I when I was first writing my book that became Holy Solitude, I was talking to my editor about maybe calling it, you know, Lent with Hermits or something, you know, like that. And she she came back to me and said, you know, our marketing team is really nervous about the word hermit because it just doesn't market very well. So I just always laugh about how hermits don't market very well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Um, like, <laughs> I, I just love that. Um, so it's kind a of way to be countercultural. <laughs> right? yeah. And I think it's different for different people. Solitude isn't good for everybody. Some people long for it. Some people are afraid of it and maybe should explore it more. But for some people, it's just not the right thing. But I think there are some people like me who find something of God and, um, and love in solitude. So but yeah, hermit's kind of a funky, mm. a fun and funky word for it. Mm. So the love, the love that you experience 
in this, in this solitary time, it sounds like it's prayerful time for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is it love of God? Is it love of people? Is it love of self, love of creation? I would say first it's, it's, it's a real feeling of God's love just surrounding mm-hmm. me. The sense of God's presence and God's love has always felt very close to me for some reason. It's nothing that I've mm-hmm. tried to do. It's just when I settle into a stillness, it's just something that I feel present. So it's God's love. And it's a time when I pray out of love for other people, especially people who are suffering. I've always had a heart for suffering people. And it's a way that I can not feel hopeless about how many people in the world are suffering, including people close to me, people in the news. It's a way to offer that, offer their suffering to God and love. And I think it's just a way to give myself energy back as I rest in that love so that I can love people more actively mm-hmm. through my writing and spiritual direction, my, my family. And I think love of self too, feeling God's love for me as well as God's love for creation. Yeah. And just that great big love that's, I just feel like is in the universe all the time mm-hmm. for us. Mm. So it sounds like it's, it's sort of like in the prayer and the contemplation, you are, you're able to give it all the love attention and be awakened to, to the sacredness of, of the ordinary. Am I getting that right? Like, yeah. Oh, beautiful, Julia. Yeah, that's exactly the house I'm in here. Everything is sacred. Wow. (laughs) Like I get to wash the dishes and this is an act of prayer or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just the sacredness of ordinary time and place and Mm-hmm. and being I guess mm-hmm. yeah. the mundane matters doesn't it yeah the mon- God is in the mundane just yeah I just mm-hmm. feel like God is like in our atoms you know um, mm-hmm. part of what holds them together somehow mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I notice in my own prayer life one of the things that happens to me is like I'll I'll start to pray for someone and or like someone will come to mind when I'm in prayer and and then I feel like this urgency, like, oh, I, I need to reach out to them right now. Like, let me just text yeah. them hello. I mean, do you do that? Is that is that like not the hermit thing to do? Should I not <laughs> be doing that? <laughs> no, I think that's totally true. Because I think it could seem a little woo-woo. But I think that there is something to that, that we're sort of connected, mm. you know, through, you know, sort of across I don't know, we're connected to each other. And sometimes we feel something and that is real, that a friend needs our prayer or Mm. we should call or text um, or just this sense of connection. So many of the ancients um, say that part of being a hermit is being hospitable to people. So whether Mm. that was out in the desert, someone came and knocked on your hut, you know, you welcome them in, you know, and Mm. you, you talk to them, you let them talk to you, you talk to them, you listen to their story. And I think, I think that's a really important part of being a hermit from love, from using your solitude for love is that part of that is being connected to people and being hospitable to them in prayer or conversation. Yeah. Really important. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that permission. (laughs) I don't know if I'm a hermit or a solitary, but I would say probably not because I love you (laughs) because, (laughs) but, but I, cause I, I find that like when I'm in, in a space of prayer, it's more like, like a plant reaching out, you know, like, Oh, how's this person yeah. doing? Oh, Hey God, how about this or that? And, and it's not usually a, a go a deep inward thing. Cause, cause that inward thing for me is like a constant and, and it's, it's like cultivating that inward space to then, okay, let the sprouting happen. And in, in, yeah. that, in that spirit of hospitality, it's so beautiful. Right. And I think, what, what we're into here is like the, the beauty of the paradox of, 
of like, we all are called to, to cultivate this inner life, this life of solitude, the solitary space so that we can be in connection with God, but it's not just for the sake of ourself, right? It is right. ultimately about the other and, and yeah. offering hospitality and, and how the ancients modeled that for us in the way that like, who knows what spirit state of prayer they were in when they got the knock on the door, they right. stopped and were available. Come in. There's a, a Catholic writer, um, Catherine Doherty. She's actually from Russian Orthodox background, but became Roman Catholic. And she wrote about solitude and called it with a Russian word, which is a Pustinia. She has a wonderful mm. book, um, Pustinia. And she founded a community called Madonna House in Ontario. Oh. And part of the spirituality there was to go spend a day every once in a while, all by yourself, just one day, like in these little cabins that they would have. And she would always say, when you go into your, Pust- your Pustinia, your, your space alone, you bring the whole world with you. So mm. when you go into solitude, you should bring the whole world in there with you. Um, and I just love that, that image that the solitude is not just for you and you're not really alone either. God is with you and maybe the whole world is with you too. Yeah. Mm. yeah that's beautiful. I love that. A hermit life, the solitary life is not your only thing. <laughs> you're, you're also a writer and an Episcopal priest and a spiritual director and a wife and a gardener. I'd love to hear about some of your, your writing. Um, and, and I'll admit to you, like, I've been intrigued by some of your titles for a while. The one that I'm especially curious about is the one about Narnia. I wrote a book called Advent and Narnia, which takes the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. It's a, it's a book for kids, but it's such a beautiful story. It's such a rich story, even though it's so simple. And I remember when I was still a parish priest, when I was in the parish, there was so much of Advent in that little book. And I went looking for, I thought somebody's written a curriculum for this. So I just need to find it. So I went looking but there was no book, no curriculum about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in Advent. So one year I finally made one up and eventually I was able to make it into a book. It's a world all covered in winter, you know, and spring never comes and waiting for Aslan, you know, who was sort of the Christ lion to, to appear and it's children and there's a, a, a witch and there's presents and there's snow. So I just had a lot of fun with that book because there are all these neat images and such a sense of wonder and you know, Advent is so much about wonder and things that have to do with children. And so it just kind of bloomed. And I just think Advent should be fun and should be a time, I hope, when people take time to wonder and not just be busy, 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 because it's such a beautiful time of year. And that novel just opens up such a beautiful and fun way to think about waiting for Jesus and think about what it is to be a person and, and what sin can be like. It's a book that I wrote for adults, even though it's a children's, a children's mm. story, but it's, I think it's neat to look through that season, through children's eyes, especially. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. Tell me more about wonder. Oh, I love wonder. There's just something about looking at the world and letting yourself be God, gobsmacked by it, you know, just <laughs> kind of like, wow. Advent is a time where I feel like the whole world or the whole Christian world kind of puts on wonder. You know, we put lights all over everything. We, we decorate things. We, we eat things that time of year that we don't eat any other time of year. We just feel this sense of expectation. I mean, even when you kind of don't like Christmas, there is sort of this sense of magic in the air. And a way to sort of transcend the the pace that our culture forms us into or insists upon us of like rush, 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 do, 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 is, is to just simply pause and ponder like the sacredness of all the things. That attentiveness 
ultimately it's it's moving from the wonder to the gratitude and that in itself is an energy of prayer isn't it yes oh i love how you put that so often i know that i tend to see what's wrong or what's missing or you know what's what's not going well in my day but (laughs) when i can open myself to wonder and gratitude you know i can just be filled with a sense of wow what a world this is what a day this is i actually had a i actually had an old friend when whenever you would ask how he was doing you would see him pause for a moment and look up and say, I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. This is a wonderful day. And every once in a while you thought, well, are you really okay? But I mean, <laughs> you could see his spiritual practice of, you know, <laughs> looking for that wonder and gratitude, which is a beautiful mm. gift of ordinariness in every day for us, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's not easy, is it? Because we no. can so be just preoccupied with all the tasks and all the to do's on our list. (laughs) And it's not to say that pain isn't real or like hard things happen. They do. Yeah. Suffering is intense. And like, we also have to process and we have to heal and we have to tend to our aching hearts and bodies. And like, that's part of the work too. We can't just live in a state of bliss as much as that would be a good sign. Or denial, right. (laughs) Right. Cause that could be unhealthy denial. So like this, yeah, it's a little bit of like the, well, there's a little messiness for you. I guess that's what we explore on this show is the messiness of, of spiritual life. Yeah. Your other writing, what else would you like to, to, for us to know about it? Well, my, um, I also read a Lent book called Holy Solitude, which I think I mentioned earlier, which goes, um, which just talks about different hermits or people who've spent time in, hol- in solitude who I admire and think are interesting and interspersed with, I have a lot of scripture in my devotionals too. And actually my latest book is coming out in September. And it's actually um, sort of a compilation of a bunch of other people's writing as well mm-hmm. as some of my own. And that's, uh, it's based on the lectionary, you know, which is the schedule of readings read in many, many churches on Sundays. And it sort of gives people a chance to pray with those readings that you'll hear in church on Sunday, or maybe that you're preaching from if you're a clergy person. And I just sort of offer a way that you can pray with all those scriptures every single week of the year. It's really a long book to write about all 52 weeks of the year instead of just four or seven weeks of Lent. But um, but it's been cool. It's been cool. And I also write for magazines, um, Mm -hmm. which is fun, sort of shorter pieces here and there. The work of writing, how does that open you up to to God in new ways? You know, I think it makes me really deeply focus on something and really go deep into it. And you know, reading a book is a kind of, is a way to focus, but writing, you really have to go deep into yourself in a way. I mean, sometimes reading a book is kind of a kind of escapism for me, being in someone else's world for a while. But when I write something, gosh, I really have to like grapple with myself you know, whether it's my distractions or, or just what it is I'm trying to say. And so having the patience to let yourself say something, because like you really want to say it perfectly or you have this beautiful idea and making it real on the page for someone else can be just excruciating. ta Coates says, he's, a, he's also a writer, a, an African-American writer. And he said somewhere, you know, you can ever really write something that's either maybe it was 60 or 80% as good as you imagine it. And that's sort of the hardest part to sort of reconcile with. Mm. It's never going to be what it was in your head, but how can you, how can you get what's inside of you out there in a way that someone else, you know, can, can receive. That's kind of a beautiful act of, well, you know, as they say, when you teach something, that's when you really learn it. Mm. And so I think when you write something, 
that's also when you really kind of realize what it is, you know, that's bouncing around in your head or what it is maybe that you're trying to learn for yourself. Because I think what you write is what you most need to hear in your own life too. So Mm. it's always a way that I think I'm learning about God and about my own questions is by trying to make them into a piece of writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I've, I think that (laughs) in my own work, I'm constantly being invited to humility, (laughs) you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. It brings (laughs) you to your knees. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And you're like, whoa, I have a lot to learn here. And, but it, and, and, and that, that's part of it too, is like this, this tension. I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, it's like the tension of the ego that like creates this ambition and this drive and this, like, I got something to say here. And, (laughs) and then you have this vision or this idea of like how it's going to turn out and it never, ever turns out like that. So then you have to like go into this space of detachment, which is his own spiritual work. And yeah, so there's this constant stripping and letting go and the continual conversion of like changing of of our minds and changing of our hearts and changing of our ideas. Like, okay, it's got, God's got a different plan for this creative thing that we're making together here. And it's not the way that I was thinking about it. And I mean, and even back, like before I started being a creative writer, I don't know if you did other creative practices in the past, but like, I used to be a painter and I was, and I wasn't that great. I was, I mean, it was a hobby, but like, I would totally like, Oh, I have this great idea, this image I'm going to create. And then I would like try and it would never, (laughs) never, ever turn out like that. But I had to go into the space of like letting myself discover Oh, look, maybe I'm more of an abstract painter. (laughs) And there's beauty here as I'm exploring the color and the shape and, you know, and that's, there's something beautiful that I made that was, this is a surprise and a delight. And yeah, I love how you put that because I, I often feel like I start with one idea and it becomes something totally different or I've learned, I can't really outline what I write because it never, Mm. that's never how it happens. It's really a Holy spirit thing. It kind of unfolds. And like you say, you really have to, I really have to let go of this, you know, what I wanted it to be or let go of control or even just let go of the voice, the other voice that says, this is terrible. This is not really worth anything. What are you talking about? This is, there's no point. This is not going anywhere. That bratty voice, it bothers me. I know. (laughs) Oh, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, I I thought it was just me. Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's universal for artists, no matter how good they are. Yeah. (laughs) That terrible critic. Yeah. I just heard an interview with one artist who said she, uh, is Julie. Cameron she wrote the artist's mm. way beautiful book but she says mm-hmm. uh, she she calls her critic Nigel as a way to sort of <laughs> shut up Nigel you know <laughs> cut it out <laughs> that's funny maybe yeah maybe we all gotta nickname the the things that get in our way of like of just being obedient to the spirit as as the spirit yes. moves us all over the place huh yeah I would say get yeah. out of here <laughs> go away you're not the one I'm giving attention and power no. to right right <laughs> How did you discover that this, all this, who you are, that this was your vocation? You know, I always sort of have had a sense that my calling was something about the spiritual life and God and knowing God and like connecting God and people. But I was, you know, was I going to be a professor? Was I going to be a pastor? I thought about joining a religious order for a while. But I'd say what ended up, my path kind of was shaped by my communities, I would say. And I was never totally sure about being ordained as an Episcopal priest, but my 
my communities at church and school just kind of said, you would be really good at this. The church needs you. And so I sort of swallowed all my uncertainties and doubts. And that's the path I followed. And I was, I was ordained in 2007 and became a parish priest. And that was sort of the start of my journey. And, and there were so many things I loved about parish ministry. I loved the people. I loved preaching. I loved the sense of community. But it was always very hard for me to be the one in charge of everything and the one sort of at the center of the wheel all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of is what got my attention and made me start thinking about, well, if this is, this is hard, but, but what else is happening here? And I, that's when I started to remember how much I loved writing. And I began to cultivate my writing as part of my vocation as a parish priest, because it gave me energy and it helped with all the things that sapped my energy. And writing began to grow and grow as part of my ministry until after about 10 years, I sort of began to feel very much like this space was opening up and it was time for me to just focus on writing. And as part of that, I'd always been intrigued by the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. And some people started asking if they could see me for direction. I think you you may have had a similar experience. And then I Mm -hmm. learned about this program, this class, this training, this internship at the Claret Center in Chicago and signed up and Gosh, I learned so much. Um, I know, wasn't it so, great? I'm so glad oh, we did that together. So, me too. I just, I always tell people, I thought I was a good listener and I think I was pretty good, but I feel like a training really made me a Ooh. great listener. So yeah. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So I think it's funny sometimes how things just get put in your path or other people. I mean, sometimes other people do not have the right sense of who you are, but sometimes they do. And mm-hmm. um, listening to God and listening to other people and sometimes I think you have to do something that is hard. Your parish ministry was hard for me, but I would never trade all the wisdom I gained about myself and church mm-hmm. and people and God from those 10 years. And maybe I'll go back someday. I never say never. And I think there's something too about following what you love and not just listening to what you feel you ought to do, but what, it, what are the loves deep inside you that are talking to you that you can't stop thinking about, I guess. I think there's something about paying attention to what you're obsessed with. Like when I was a parish <laughs> priest, I couldn't stop reading books about hermits. Like I would go onto Amazon and I'd Google like hermits and I would see what books would come up yeah. because I, I, I long for, I miss that solitude so much. There's discovery in the unfolding, right? Like it's yes. sort of like trusting the journey. And as as you do things and you try things on and you, you certain identities. And although like it may, may feel right and make sense at the beginning, like being a parish priest for you was, it might end up just needing to be a season. And yes, like as, as we more deeply take something on, we recognize, oh, this isn't the most authentic to who I am because you, because you're learning more about who you are as, as you get into it more deeply. Exactly. And you're changing and and it's sort of like the road unfolds before you, but you have to walk each part of the road. I love that metaphor of driving at night, you know, on a winding road, you know, the headlights only reach so far and you can only see and drive what, what you can see right in front of you at that time. And it may Mm. change. It does change as you, as you walk the path as you drive it, whatever your, your vehicle of pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Those could be some terrifying drives when you can only see like an acre ahead of you. And you're like, Oh God, help me. Is that a, am I seeing a moon or a star up there? Or is that like a light, like a farm in the right. distance? You can't even tell what you're moving toward. Right. Or is it a motorcycle coming right at me? Or? Yeah. Right. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like this, the, um, the pilgrimage of adventure in it all too. Like we don't really know what the destination is that we're moving toward, but we have to keep walking and remain faithful 
Yes. And trust what's in the moment. It's okay if, you know, you don't know what, what you're doing now is forever. That's, that's kind of part of the deal. Just trust, trust mm. where you are and trust mm. that it will unfold, especially if you can believe that, you know, that those desires and longings that God puts in your heart are, are there for a reason are real, you know, that they will lead you even, even if it might not lead to what you, you know, your fantasy, you know, might be like, I, I don't live in a little cabin by the ocean somewhere, you know, <laughs> But that's okay. I, I like being able to go to the grocery store. It's it's fun. <laughs> I love the grocery store as your example of like getting out. You really are. Right? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's so yeah. funny. In all of this for you and all the things you're doing, like what have you come to believe about what discipleship is? It's about feeling God's love and loving other people. I, I worry sometimes, and from my own experience, I think sometimes we can get caught in discipleship as nothing but obligation and duty. And I think that there can be a dryness in that over time. There's a rigidity in only doing what we think we must do. And that there has to be some sense of love and joy in it. We risk not being become, being a false self, you know, being a role or being acting from our guilt. And I think... There really is power. There is power in discipleship from from love and what helps us grow. And that doesn't mean we never do hard things, not not at all. But that we serve God and one another from from our love and our passion and what gives as much energy as it takes away from us. So I just think of my time in church and and clergy and parishioners who were doing things out of obligation or some sense that it it must be done instead of thinking well, must it be done? You know, why are we doing some of these things? What is most effective? What, what is really giving life to us and the people we serve? And what is maybe draining us and even draining them, you know, because charity is not always, charity is complicated. I mean, I think about the disciples and there was something in them that it wasn't always easy and they often had no idea what was happening. And, you know, it was very messy and it was um, confusing, but there was a sense of love for one another and for Jesus that filled them and I think carried them through the hard times. So, so the disciples, maybe they knew they were in the right spot. Like they were following the right guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they felt the joy and the love that, that comes with being with Christ. And, and that's your experience too, is as a, as a Christian disciple is like discovering what, get, where you feel love and joy. Yes. And sometimes I pray like, God, actually, I, I, I'm feeling a sense that I should, and I'm still in sort of a personal place with some of these things right now, but um, sort of God will give me joy and love to follow this place that I feel like I would like more courage to go. Or maybe I'm, there was a time when um, some folks in my congregation had this deep conviction that they wanted to serve the poor more deeply. And I felt like, and I, I felt like I had no idea what God was calling us to do. So I asked them to be the listeners and to do mm. some research. And, and they found this wonderful homeless shelter in a, a, mm. a, a town near our church and led people to serve there. And I, it was such a joy to follow their lead and mm. learn from what they were doing, even though I didn't feel that sense of, of knowing what God was calling us to following them was really, and their joy was so powerful for me. So community yeah. offers clarity too. Yes. Yes. I think we community, there's so many different gifts people have. And isn't that a wonderful thing that a community provides all these different gifts? Cause we can't, we can't each have all the gifts. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we aren't going to be good at everything and to share in someone else's gift can also be such a joyful thing or just to celebrate what someone else does, even if you never have anything else, anything to do with it. What are, 
the words call and will of God, those phrases, uh, mm-hmm. we talk, we, we float those around a lot in our churchy, churchy circles, True. <laughs> but what does it mean to be called to you? And what is the will of God? Like how, Oh gosh. Um, I don't know how to answer the will of God question. I think that's, <laughs> that's just brought to me. Um, but I, um, but I will speak to call. I think call is this itch that God puts in you that you, that you can't ignore um, mm. this sort of thing in your belly or this energy that you can't stop thinking about. A friend of mine, she would drive past a prison every day on her way to work and she could not stop thinking about that prison. And she felt, shoot, I think God wants me to go find out what's happening at that prison. And she just mm. couldn't stop thinking about it. So even though she felt like she didn't have time, so she did, she followed that itch. Or for me, sometimes it's like this thing I'm probably supposed to write about and I can't stop thinking about it or- um, that, uh, The obsessions, like you mentioned earlier. Yes, <laughs> like follow your obsessions. With There's their something hermitage. there. Hermits. <laughs> right, right. You know, and sometimes, you know, and actually for a while I was obsessed with intentional community and that ended up not being something I was called to, but I think there was still something there in that obsession that I needed to learn about through different things that I explored in my young adulthood. And sometimes it's just an arrow pointing you to something that's important to you or something else. So, but I think pay attention to your obsessions. I think there's something that, mm-hmm. something of God and what we, what we can't stop thinking about or what, especially if it's a good thing, you know, if you can't right. stop thinking about your sins, I think that's, that's, that, that, that's, there's something else there. And so, maybe it's just the, the call to, to be redeemed or be reconciled in some way, but to ask for forgiveness. And I don't believe that we're called to do what we're afraid of. Like, you know, Mm. um, people say what you're called to do is what you're most afraid of. And I kind of think that's tricky. You know, actually, um, there was some group around the time of the Reformation that believed that. And Mm. like, if you're called to take off all your clothes, well, then that's what you should do and run through the street, you know, and that's just silly. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah, almost (laughs) reckless, perhaps. (laughs) Right. So listen to your fears and think about them. But I don't think just because you are afraid or, or, or don't want to do something that means that God wants you to do it. That mm. eh, I'm not sure about that. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think call can also come from our communities. Like I said earlier, not always because our, our, you know, our truest sense of self, I think comes from within, but sometimes our communities can see things in us that we're either not ready to see for ourselves, or maybe don't have enough confidence to believe in. But I think the things that your friends and people you love say to you about what you should think about in terms of your sense of call or your work or something you should check out. I think there's, there's some, there's the Holy spirit in that too. The Holy spirit works through mm. groups of people. Mm. Yeah. Internal listening, external listening, both of it is part of the discernment, yes. isn't it? It's a conversation between those things. Yes. Mm. You know, back to the, the thing about uh call and like how sometimes it's, it's those obsessions. It makes me think of <laughs> when you know, I've been in love at different times in my life and I just like, can't stop thinking about that person. <laughs> right? I just love them so much. And I just think uh-huh. they're beautiful or whatever. And, you know, everyone that's been in love knows what that's like. It feels very similar. The, the same sort of yes. like energy of attraction or like, wow, yes. I can't stop thinking about this thing. And you can't ignore it because it gets so intense to me. Like it's a very, if not the same energy, a parallel energy, it works a very similar way. And if people are like, I don't know how to get a sense of like what I'm called to, but they've been in love with before, maybe they can just kind of like think. I think so. I think there's a reason we fall in love with people too, or get crushes Mm -hmm. on them. There's something about them that, you know, either we want to be like them or they bring out something in us that 
that we want brought out more. I mean, I think that's also a kind of call, like, you know, what is it about this person that is making me feel so alive, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes you're in love with someone for healthy reasons. And sometimes you're in love with someone because of kind of, you know, because of your, because of your stuff, as my friend Rachel would say, you know? Mm. So, but either of those, it's a call to think about, huh, what is, what is this happening to me? What's going yeah. on here? Yeah, that's where it gets messy, right? And and we're going to talk about messiness here in a moment, but like I'll just I'll just start to bring us there like cuz that's the messiness of like just because you have this obsession or this call or this this person or this this idea or this interest that you that you start to get obsessed with and attracted to, it it does it's not clear how <laughs> you're <Yeah>. supposed to engage <laughs> and that's where you got to start to kind of okay so so I'm really into hermits am I supposed to be a hermit or am I supposed to write about hermits like right yeah or totally. like I'm or for me you know like I'm really really attracted to this person but that does that mean anything yeah, yeah, it means that I get to thank God for the beauty of that person and remain a sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? that's, that's for me, that's usually what it comes down to. But for other people, it could mean something totally different. And and that's where it comes back to like the self-awareness and and, yeah. and the listening to community and to self, right? Yes, the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to speak these things aloud. You know, and even if you're married, if you have a crush on someone, I think it's good to say to your partner, like, oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about this person, you know, and it's both the kind of kind of gets it off your chest. And mm-hmm. you can sort of talk about, well, what's going on here? Why is it that, you know, I think this person's so wonderful? What I, this is interesting. Um, I think there's always something to learn from those powerful feelings, whether it's about hermits or a person or a new hobby or or Paris, you know, there's always something to learn about that. Paris. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, you just don't know. The way the spirit summons us is, is pretty wild. (laughs) And our job is to, to pay attention and, and respond and allow ourselves to discover as we, as we respond and to, to like, let go and strip over and over. Oh, it's not that it's this. (laughs) And not, and not to stop it. I think it's so wrong to think, dismiss these things as silly or wrong. You know, we should always Hmm. engage those strong feelings, not, not wish them away or pretend they're not there. Mm, Yeah. That sounds healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell me, tell me more uh, about what's messy about all this for you. You know, when I was a little girl, my mom tells me that I used to go to different rooms in our house and I would point and I would say mess, you know, so (laughs) my parents were both, I think they didn't have time to have a clean house. And I've always had this longing for, I think for order, but I'm terrible at it too. And part of my adulthood, I think has, has become being okay with messy things and disorganization and piles of mail and I can't always vacuum. I think what I've learned is there's great fruitfulness in messiness. You know, I mm. um, I went through the Marie Kondo craze where I like purged a whole bunch of stuff. But then my husband loves to tease me because I would get rid of things and then I'd be like, oh shoot, actually I needed one of those. So now I have to go buy another one. Oops. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually think that having closets full of stuff sometimes ends up being a resource for us like oh like I need a thing for this retreat or oh gosh I actually you know sometimes there's a fruitfulness in the mess of clutter in our houses or the all the books that we have or or even just in the chaos of our daily life like I think there can be a fruitfulness in that because 
you, you need dirt to grow things. A beautiful lawn, nothing grows on a beautiful lawn. There, there's even hardly any wildlife or insects that can live in a beautiful, neat lawn. But a meadow or a thicket or a crazy bunch of weeds, you know how much life is in that? So mm. many, such life diversity. So that's how I've been thinking about messiness lately, that it's okay to let some weeds grow and it's okay to have some crap in your closet because... I just think there's a fruitfulness in that, that we can clean away if we're not careful. Mm. Is that the way you think about Christian discipleship too? Is like the chaos and the, is, is fine? I mean, how can it not be? I mean, I mean, sure. God created, God didn't like the chaos before creation scripture tells us and God separated the light and the dark, right? But scripture talks about this garden where all these things grew and they weren't, it wasn't like neat agricultural rows of things. It was like a forest, like a jungle, like a savanna. And so I guess I think about discipleship in that way too. If we're too neat about it, if we try and put it in too many boxes, are we constraining the spirit? You know, if, if churches try and make their programming and their community life too orderly, there's not always room for for things to spring up. I mean, one of my favorite things about being a parish priest was seeing what my people would come up with. I would tell them, you know, I'm not the only leader of ministry. You are too. If there's a ministry you want to start, you know, I don't have time to do all the ministries in the world, but you have me have an idea for something. And Julia, the things people, you know, I talked about the homeless shelter ministry, you know, that I had nothing to do with. There was a group of people who decided they wanted to read the Bible all the way through. And they brought me in later because reading the Bible all the way through is actually really upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) They said, Reverend Heidi, what's happening? We need you to come talk to us about this crazy stuff we're reading in Genesis. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) Or some, some parents had an idea for a new Sunday school program. I mean, So, I mean, that's within a church context, but I just think Mm. there are all kinds of ways the spirit moves and we need to make room for that and be okay with how that might not be what we expect. I'm a big fan of randomness because I think my brain can move like that too. Like, you know, oh, shiny, pretty, what's over here, you know, and, (laughs) and sometimes I need to focus and get something done, but sometimes really interesting ideas can come up from a random book or internet search or, Mm. or walk or conversation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It kind of brings us back to the wonder where we were talking in the beginning. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, oh, I wonder where this is about. I wonder where this is from. Yes. I wonder where this is leading me. Yes, where will this go? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and sometimes you look up and find you've you've spent a whole hour researching some obscure, you know, person in history or author, but then, you know, you learn and sometimes that leads you somewhere. So Mm. I think that's, I think that there's a goodness in that too, as well as a procrastination method <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Sounds good and messy to me. And yeah. Oh, thank you so much for modeling for us how to just be faithful to to the way that things unfold. And and mm-hmm. and it's the great adventure of like, whoa, where's this going next? And who am I becoming now? And and for all the the work and, and wisdom that you share. Where can our listeners follow your work, by the way? So um, my books are sold wherever, you know, all the big, you know, Amazon, um, book, bookshop.org, all the usual places. Um, or you can also sort of look at uh, HeidiHaverCamp.net. I'm also on Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram. So those are all the right places to look to find out more about what I do and who I am and um, find out about my writing and such. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks so much for coming on Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for having me, Julie. It was such a pleasure. And I just, um, I love your podcast and I'm just grateful to have this conversation with you. Thank you. 
invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. This is a prayer called For Solitude, and it's written by John O'Donohue and is found in his book, To Bless the Space Between Us. For Solitude. May you recognize in your life the presence, power, and light of your soul. May you realize that you are never alone, that your soul in its brightness and belonging connects you intimately with the rhythm of the universe. May you have respect for your individuality and difference. May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, that behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. May you learn to see yourself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees you in every moment. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.